Hello, my name is Daryl Mott, and I'm a podcast editor. The following files appeared on my Dropbox account labeled only with the file name, Scary Basement, Mikey and Roxy, Butterfly Kisses. After loading them into my editing software, I discovered that these were, in fact, the lost recordings of Mikey McCaller and Roxy Polk, who disappeared on Thursday, September 22nd, 2022, after attempting to review the 2018 found footage horror movie, Butterfly Kisses. After painstaking reconstruction, this is the recovered audio of that fateful episode. Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mike are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including... A toad with the voice of a siren, haunted Polybius arcade machine, and a gelatinous cube with not one, not two, but three complete human skeletons. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. So Mikey, let's start out as we always do with the scariest things that happened to us this week. So what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, for me, it was the end of The Sopranos. I rewatched The Sopranos. It's my favorite show. And it's not scary that the show is over. But the last scene of The Sopranos is legitimately horrifying. Okay, I know very little about The Sopranos outside of what you have told me. But even I know about this ending because it is right. very notorious. <laughs> it is very clearly Tony Soprano getting murdered suddenly shot in the head. And the way they depict it <laughs> is just... <laughs> uh, he glances up. He's at a restaurant. He glances up. His daughter is there. He sees her. And then it cuts to black. And it's just like, oh, yeah, that's how death's going to feel. <laughs> like, it's so visceral and it's so shocking and so sudden. And I just like I watched it again. You know, I watched the show before and mm-hmm. seeing it again. I was like, this is how it's going to feel to die. And I just sat in that negative, upsetting feeling. <laughs> minutes after just with like head in my hands upset that i was dead oh my god because you you too mm. will be like tony soprano one of these days we all will at be at some point and we honestly i guess i would death. rather i guess i would rather have that than like a long protracted death like it would be nice mm. to just like one day flip the switch off as it seems is happening for our friend tony soprano but uh just like it's gonna be upsetting no matter what it's yeah. going to be upsetting to die, Roxy. I think just, like, not being able to put your affairs in order and knowing other people are going to have to deal with whatever, like, leaving stuff unfinished, like, that unfinished business thing that, you know, frequently in many stories and, you know, movies we've seen where ghosts stick around because mm. they have unfinished business. Like, yeah, that kind of regret and pull is real. Uh, like, would you just I- be able to disconnect and just be like, everything's done. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I, to be clear, though, if I, no matter what happens, if I do get murdered, I do hope it is in front of my children. I mean, they deserve a front row seat if no one else does, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that would mo- inspire them to uh, avenge me. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, then they become the Batman, Mikey. They right. become the Batman. So then you actually create a superhero. So your death has meaning. I want my children to be Batman. <laughs> he's a very well-adjusted rich man. So, hey, yeah. Yeah, he seems happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roxy, what happened in your life that scared you to your bones? Oh, speaking of uh, superheroes, actually, the thing that scared me had to do half superhero, half Resident Evil, which is the liquor as Spider-Man mod for the Mm. Spider-Man game, (laughs) where we will have the the, uh, clip in the show notes. But basically, someone made a mod where you swap out Spider-Man's model for the liquor from Resident Evil, which is a famous enemy who is blind Mm -hmm. and kills you very quickly if they feel (laughs) like it. But also, very importantly, crawls on walls like a Spider-Man. Yep, he crawls around on walls and has like a a tongue that will grab things. So you can imagine (laughs) what that looks like when you put it into a mod with Spider-Man. And so it's a liquor- Does the tongue replace its web-slinging? No, sadly, he does not use his tongue as web slinger. That would have been a perfect opportunity if if mm. only they had done that. Um, but it's maybe a little re- too gross. Yeah, regardless, it's like what what if Spider Man was a liquor? What what if these liquors you kill in the games could be capable of saving lives instead of taking them? 
Roxy, what, what if, if you were making out in the rain with an upside down liquor? Oh my god, the tongue would just kill you. <laughs> Kristen Dunst does not like this. <laughs> she would not. <laughs> Although I'm sure that's somebody's fetish, but um, for me, no thank you. I think I'm mm. good with uh, non-liquor Spider-Man make-out scenes. Uh-oh. Speaking oh, of the horrifying monsters. The demon bot stumbles into the room. With purpose and malice. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2018 found footage film Butterfly Kisses. Did you watch the film? Roxy, I did watch Butterfly Kisses. I, too, watched the movie Butterfly Kisses. Then you may keep your souls. For now. Oh, he skittered up the wall. He must have heard me talking about liquors. He felt inspired. I get it. Who, who wouldn't be inspired by a liquor creature? Christ, that's what's scary about the demon body is new powers every time we see him. <laughs> no, what he had can't sticky he fingers. do? What can't he do? I so take yes. that back. I knew he had sticky fingers and that he stole $30 from me once, but I didn't know he had sticky fingers in terms of crawling on the walls. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, using it for uh, ambulation instead of theft, probably a, a plus sign, but uh, now he can also steal from any angle <laughs> in the room. <laughs> Uh, so maybe it's just making him a better thief. <laughs> uh, so this week we watched the movie Butterfly Kisses, the uh, found footage documentary film. Very, very unique presentation with this one. Um, mm-hmm. So how about for everybody listening at the uh, basement door, we give them mm-hmm. a plot summary, Mikey. I love it. All right. In 2004, we see a film student, Sophia. Recording her final interview for a documentary she will never finish about an urban legend called Peeping Tom. She says that she doesn't know how much time she has and that she fears she will die as a result of her pursuit of this legend. We then cut to 2015, where aspiring filmmaker Gavin has found the tapes from Sophia's documentary. Gavin has hired his own documentary crew to chronicle his search to prove that the tapes and the legend of Peeping Tom is real. We also learn that this is Gavin's last chance to make it in the film biz as a professional, as he is 39 years old and has not been a success thus far, and is only a wedding photographer, as opposed to the Hollywood big shot he wants to be. 39, truly an ancient man past his prime who could never <laughs> achieve anything. I do feel that. I do feel like. I do know, too, probably... but also it's really not that old. Like that's plenty of time. That's really not that old, but it feels like you are. when Morgan Freeman was 72 before he got his first film role. Wait, is that real? No. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it. God damn it. Anyway, the entity, Peeping Tom, is known as a Filmengeist, which is more widely known as a flicker spirit that is seen out of the corner of your eye, but not something that you witness directly. You summon this ghoul by staring unblinkingly for an entire hour between the hours of 12 a.m. and 1 a.m. down the Ilchester Tunnel. Once you see this monster, he will follow you relentlessly, getting closer to you every time you blink until he's close enough to give you a butterfly kiss which is the term for when you are so close to someone that you blink and they feel your eyelashes on their face. You will then be scared to death and die. This is why film students Sophia and her partner Feldman call their documentary Butterfly Kisses and why the movie we are watching is called Butterfly Kisses. Since it's physically impossible for a person to not blink for an hour, Feldman decides to set up their camera as their eyes to watch the tunnel. Since it watches and the shutter closes much like an actual eye, But wouldn't you know it, it actually works. And when Gavin sees this, he too believes that the film students have captured an actual supernatural phenomenon. It's real. This sends Gavin Mm. into the start of a desperate spiral to legitimize his footage. Gavin tries to find the professor and other experts that the kids talk to about their movie. But they don't seem to exist. Gavin even goes to a local ghost hunting group and is dismissed. As a man creating a hoax, he finds an author who is interviewed by the students, and the man doesn't give him the answer he wants. He takes the footage to the documentary crew's headquarters to analyze it, and they find an audio distortion that seems to be Morse code for blink. This discovery causes the documentary crew to now believe that Gavin could have made all the footage himself, possibly hiring actors to play Sophia and Feldman. This is when we will learn that Gavin has taken huge sums of money from his family bank accounts to pay for this movie. His relationship with his wife and child is incredibly strained. 
Gavin then goes on a radio show after putting the footage of Peeping Tom on a website, hoping to drum up interest and popularity in the project. He is, however, obliterated by every single caller calling in, saying it's fake, not real, looks like trash. And the final nail in the coffin is when his idol, Eduardo Sanchez, one of the co-creators of the Blair Witch Project, calls it derivative. And that he needs to just own up to the fact that he's making it up and creating a film that isn't real. There's nothing wrong with making a fictional film like this. It's fun. People why, why like he, fictional films. Yeah, why he gotta be so committed to the fact that it's a real thing? <laughs> he just is. After this devastating interaction, Gavin goes home to find that his wife has taken their son and left him. She found out that Gavin had emptied their son's trust fund that his grandparents had set up for the boy to fund this Butterfly Kisses documentary. The documentary crew then discusses the morality of not only watching this man's life fall apart, but the part they've played in it as well. They were the ones who were looking for an ending to their documentary about Gavin, who was making a documentary about Feldman and Sophia, and it was the documentary crew, the... <laughs> that we're watching, who called Eduardo Sanchez of the Blair Witch Project to be on the radio show in the first place. Cruelty abounds. A desperate Gavin goes missing, and the crew then finds him suddenly trying to recreate the experiment that Sophia and Feldman did by setting up his own camera in the tunnel. He's also looking disheveled worse for wear. He is not looking good. Mm -mm. The film we are watching is then cut in, where we see more original footage of Feldman trying to beat Peeping Tom using mirrors and other cameras. But unfortunately, it doesn't work, and he dies on camera. <laughs> Sophia films the news coverage of Feldman's death and now knows that she is next. Gavin goes missing, and it's during this time that we follow the documentary crew as they follow up on an image analysis from the Peeping Tom footage of the moment that Feldman is killed. There's a reflection in... In Peeping Tom's eye, we catch him for just a glimpse. He gets a big jump scare. And there's a reflection in Peeping Tom's eye of the opposite view of the tunnel, seeing Feldman and the camera looking at the creature. They then isolate the Morse code sound to show that it reveals a silhouette of Peeping Tom. This couldn't have been a fake. Sophia and Feldman's footage is real. The documentary director receives a package from Gavin, despite the fact that he's missing. It contains the original journal that was in the original tapes that Feldman wrote. A package to Sophia with her address proving that she existed and was not an actor. And then also a cassette tape with some mysterious writing on it. And finally, a key to a hotel room. Uh, this entire thing, very mysterious. They're following the clues now. <laughs> we are now following the uh, documentary crew entirely. The film in the package is the rest of Sophia's final interview, saying that she had a dream that she stared down the tunnel for an hour. But then when she woke up and realized she was actually somehow at the tunnel, miles from her house, she had actually done it. She actually saw Peeping Tom. The film crew follows the hotel room keycard clue and find Gavin dead in a bathtub with a bunch of other cameras and GoPros in the room. They also find the box of the original tapes, which they steal before calling the cops. We learn that Gavin died of heart failure, and the documentary crew is unable to decide if they should continue the project or scrap the whole thing entirely. The crew continues to argue. The director now convinced that they have something real and have to keep going. Hmm, this sounds familiar. Where have we heard this before? <laughs> uh, the film is then intercut with the final part of Sophia's interview, where she claims to know how to beat Peeping Tom. And then she cuts off her own eyelids and screams all on camera. We then watch a post credit scene where the movie we have been watching, the do this ostensible documentary, says, quote, Four-Fingered Films has undertaken all reasonable measures to ensure the accuracy of this film's content. If you have any information on the persons depicted, please contact your local authorities immediately, implying that this film is real, and it's all a documentary, and it's all really real. We then see a post-credit sequence... A post-post-credit sequence, I suppose, <laughs> the second one, <laughs> where we see that Sophia is in fact alive, but in an asylum, and she appears to be stroking the face of Peeping Tom, his face pressed so close to hers that he will continue to give her butterfly kisses for as long as she lives. And that is Butterfly Kisses, Mikey, the movie. Roxy, when I sat down to watch this movie, I thought it was going to be a documentary about the hit song Butterfly Kisses. That goes, butterfly kisses. 
alphabet time prayer. <laughs> Little white flowers all up in her hair. It's a good song. Uh, and Very my spooky. Stepdad, for being scary. So I can understand why you would think it would be a documentary. <laughs> my my stepdad and sister did a daddy-daughter dance to it in sixth grade. And very sweet. Very sweet little song. <laughs> Is it? I think... Not- when when you okay so when you told me about this song apparently it documents the entire daughter's life he's talking about how she's going to get married and whatever yeah and he still loves her yeah v- he very loves his little baby daughter yeah very cool and not weird at all to be like. <laughs> <laughs> it's written by a man named Bob Carlyle who would go on to <laughs> write a number of other songs about being a dad <laughs> and how much he loves his daughter and how much He's he loves guy. Jesus, I guess. Is, isn't he like a uh, gospel he also loves singer Jesus. or yeah. Christian singer, I guess, specifically? Uh, unfortunately, this movie has nothing to do with dads and daughters who love each other. It has to do with the act of filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> and it, monsters who... What it means to be an artist. Love to kill people. <laughs> <sighs> Roxy, this movie's great. Yeah, it has a very interesting layered touch to it, which, like, yes, it is about filmmaking and kind of like... Filmmaking and the audience and what people would do for a story, how people can get lost in it, you know, failed potential dreams and everything. Mm-hmm. Like being being a person who has worked your entire life towards a specific goal, not made it, and then kind of risking it all on this final thing and mm-hmm. everything just goes wrong. Everything goes to shit. And it has this really interesting structure that allows, like, a deconstruction of the found footage genre within yes. a found footage movie. Like, they keep interviewing experts who say, like, like I have problems with this movie, like, that in my hmm. notes that I'm like, they find a shoebox. Gavin, the, uh, the middle director, <laughs> Gavin finds a shoebox full of footage. And when he's watching the initial directors, the kids... They, like, show off the shoebox, and it's, like, this big, like, wow, do you have a shoebox or something we could put this in? And I'm like, all right, you're just setting it up. And then a couple scenes later, they interview a media analyst who is kind of my avatar in this movie. (laughs) There's just, like, this annoying film critic who's just like, all right, you're telling me they're just showing the shoebox that we know the legend is going to involve? Yeah, right. And I was like, oh, it's smart. They, like, know what they're doing. They're calling out the little problems with a found footage movie. Because they were like, it's so staged. Naturally, you wouldn't record them finding a shoebox and talking about putting the discs in, or the tapes in a shoebox. Like, why would you exactly. do that? Unless it is it, part of the movie to establish it. You know, as it's a almost a choice. little too convenient. Yeah, and exactly. Found but the thing is, they are sort of film that students way. as well. So they would be thinking about it differently than if it was just like, you know, a person with a camera. Mm. Like in Paranormal Activity or something, he's just like a, was a financial dude who has a camera. Uh, he's he doesn't have any background in it so you could maybe argue that but i think more so yeah it is talking about that interesting choice to be like yeah how constructed is this how real is Mm -hmm. this and there's something for me that like makes me kind of like rest into a movie like when i have a problem with a movie like a plot hole or something Mm -hmm. and some and just somebody bringing it up they don't necessarily another character doesn't need to solve it they need to just say like well, why didn't you uh, just call the police? And then they just say, I didn't have time. Like, if somebody raises the question, I feel at ease. I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. I was wondering about that too. The filmmakers have anticipated it and they have addressed it, even if they didn't resolve it. Yeah, and I think also in that way too, it is interrogating like kind of how we as an audience or like critics kind of interact with films Mm -hmm. too by involving like layers upon layers of audience where it's first we have the the original tapes from like the 2000s and then we have gavin finding it he's the secondary audience and then we have Mm -hmm. the documentary crew which is like the secondary secondary audience Mm -hmm. and then us who are actually watching the film are included as that final like layer to it yeah i think we should maybe for clarity's sake label sophia and feldman the child (laughs) documentarians they're crew a okay gavin is crew b the crew we're watching is C, and we as the audience are D. There you go. Yeah. Does that, that track? For me. Okay. Yep. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I already forgot it. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and help you remember. <laughs> We've got also the film critic. Again, like, I have this problem where, like, it, it's kind of like a, a metaphorical understanding of how an eye works that, like, okay, the metaphor or the, the rule is you can't blink for an hour staring at the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And then... 
the camera functions as an eye. And I and when they said that, I was like, no, it doesn't. It's a device. Like, it's a different thing. It's not a, a human being's eye. And the fact that the media critic then stops in, this is why I'm saying he's my avatar. He comes in uh-huh. and he's just like, yeah, that's not an eye. That's a problem. And I was like, ah, you guys. You yeah. Get it. You get yep. me. I felt like a lot of this movie just got me. That's good. It's really rad to of, be able to jive with the movie in this way. Well, if it wasn't so horrible, <laughs> it would be like mm-hmm. like this this feeling of like being out on the line for your art, the feeling of financial insecurity, <laughs> the feeling yeah. of not knowing how your project is being received and almost being it's it's a bizarre situation where like it, it, Gavin is almost being gaslit by the community. Yeah, and definitely, like, the film crew in a way, too, where they're like, we're hands-off, we're just documenting it. But then they will literally bring in his, one of his idols, one of his, mm -hmm. like, film idols, who ends up just dunking on him so severely, it, like, kind of is the final (laughs) nail in the coffin. Where if they didn't call him at all, if they weren't invested in getting an ending to their documentary, that Mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened. And, I mean, sure, he'd be getting dunked on by locals, with, like, that part is definitely, like, something of his own making, but, like, maybe he could have just brushed that off and kept going and wouldn't have devolved in this way. <laughs> it, it almost gets me into thinking about this idea that it's impossible to just neutrally observe something. Mm, like, Yeah, you're going to have your own take. This uh, documentary crew, C, is doing their best to be neutral, and then they kind of can't help it. And it's dramatized in the fact that they brought in our Blair Witch friend, which... Roxy, that popped me. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, this guy is a Blair Witch guy. I know you from the Blair Witch. Uh, that was cool. And he has a yeah. big, cool beard. Yeah, he does. And I think he actually ended up working as a producer to, like, help make this movie mm-hmm. become a thing. Because it is it is very cool and adds something different to the found footage genre. Which, like, I have watched so many found footage movies that are just, like, the same thing you've seen before. Or just, like, exactly what you'd expect. So it's very this cool is, to see, like, something different in this way. I almost feel like this movie is a mashup between a found footage Blair Witch style movie and, like, a Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Where, like... Mm, yeah, where it's very it meta. ostensibly exists in the world. And it's maybe really only... Like, we don't get any other examples besides the Blair Witch guy. It's not like he also interacts with... The, uh, the author? Uh, Pre- President Biden or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. It, there's nobody else from real life that tells us to clue us in that, like, hey, this is our world that exists today. There, There is one other guy. The guy who is the, uh, the author who the kids talk to. Like, he's really oh, the one right. who writes those, like, weird facts or, like, spooky kind of weird happenings in different parts of the country yeah if you ever stop at like a truck stop in maryland there'll be like a coffee table book called like weird maryland and yep yep it'll just have like weird facts and my dad might have even bought me like a weird portland book i might even have one of those (laughs) guys books um which uh it's interesting because when they interview like when gavin interviews him he gets so frustrated because he doesn't get the answers he wants out of this guy he's Mm -hmm. like yeah i don't really remember those kids and like you know, I didn't really think it was worth putting in the book. And the way Gavin gets so frustrated and, like, angry afterwards, too. Like, he is trying so hard. It, it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole with so mm-hmm. much of this stuff where it's just, like, he's not really thinking about, like, yeah, how things are going to be received, how he's being perceived, the best way to go about a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't take himself out of it and kind of look at his work objectively, which is extremely hard. Like, he, both you and I as, like, artists, writers, storytellers, people who appreciate stories... If you were in a thing like that, it is really hard to be able to do that, to just separate mm. yourself from it and look at it objectively and just turn on your complete editor brain. It's hard not to have, mm-hmm. you know, a certain angle or affectation or like, you know, perspective on it. Yeah, he's closer to trying to make a, a f- even when he is trying to like objectively tell the story of Peeping Tom, and this is Gavin B, um, as he's trying to objectively tell the story, he's still kind of writing the movie. He still has his expectations. And documentaries almost feel like improv in that way, where it's less about what you want and more about listening and taking in what you're receiving. Exactly. And processing that. And so that is kind of his documentary documentarian flaw that we see almost <laughs> pass to this uh documentary crew see like a virus yeah this idea that like we have we have this obligation did i ever tell you about the documentary i made in film school roxy what no i didn't know you did that <laughs> wait hang on okay so we went to college together but like yeah. you 
you made a documentary? How did I not know yeah, this? Yeah, I was. I took one film class. Okay. And one of the projects is a documentary, and I went and filmed uh, two of my friends who were a uh, guitar hero was very big at the time. Okay. And every Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, there was this bar by us that would have guitar hero night at the bar where they'd hook it up to the big screen and whoever did the best at guitar hero would win a bar gift card or whatever okay and so i went and filmed my two friends who were really good and played every week but i told them i was like i need you my friend nick to be like an underdog like i just really like playing the game that's fun and i need you ricky to be like i'm just really good and it's kind of just easy for me and i kind of don't give a shit (laughs) So I could craft them as heroes and villains. I 100% manipulated the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's actually a very interesting perspective because you can kind of see how things like this. Yeah. Gavin is trying to kind of construct things like that. Like, for instance, with the author trying to, like, get him to say the thing he wants him to say. But then the Mm -hmm. dude doesn't do it. So it's like that when that doesn't work. And then seeing that. Mm -hmm. it's so tough to go into like and i think this happens in any kind of art making to go in with this sort of preconceived notion about what this project is going to be and then even just thinking about like as i'm writing tv it's like you'll cast an actor to play a character and they'll make choices that you didn't anticipate and i would argue that the great tv shows are the ones that can recognize that and and play into like um i think about community all the time one of my favorite shows of all time and the original plan was for like chevy chase and donald glover to be like the two best buds on the show and they were gonna be like beavis and butthead kind of like oh my god giggling at stuff that's so weird to think about now knowing what the show is like yeah when Troy and Abed, they were like, oh, these two actors have so much chemistry and they like each other in real life. And let's play into that. And we got two of the great characters in TV in Troy and Abed. So good, good. shows are all are like you can borrow these skills for different art making. That's almost a documentarian approach to writing a TV show. And then we have our friend Gavin, crew B, who is taking a TV showrunner approach to making a documentary. Yeah. And he failed in a way that I would argue community did not. Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about art, too, especially when you're working in a collaborative scenario like this, like with TV, you know, not one person is going to make an entire TV show happen. You've got an entire Mm -hmm. crew, actors, everything. So that's one of the great boons and also can also be a great detractor at times with too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm. But being able to roll with that and like know what is good feedback, what is not good feedback And being Mm -hmm. like, am I putting too much of my ego in this? And that's why this isn't working. So I really need to like actually listen to these other people around me. Like knowing when to do that cannot be easy. And this guy, (laughs) Gavin, who does not have any experience doing that. Yeah, like he can't he can't let go. Like you said, he's making it like it's a TV show instead of a documentary. Yeah. And also, I would say that (laughs) this movie does a really good job of like, I never didn't believe Gavin. Like, the the idea that he is so financially invested in this project, mm-hmm. like, gives him a real stake from it. It's it's a really good – it almost becomes a, a classic horror movie problem. It's just like, well, okay, the scream killer's after you. Why don't you just leave the town? <laughs> Why don't you just get out? Yeah. And uh, uh, the answer for Gavin – like, not every movie needs to address that, but, like, they give him a really good answer. It's like he's invested because his – financial future with his family is on the line here yeah and he views it as like his last shot he's like if i can't make this work then i probably can't make anything work i feel like you don't have a ton of horror movies where the main character has skin in the game like they're just trying to survive as opposed to they have this very specific objective that they need to achieve to uh which i would argue is what good storytelling is a character has a strong want that they are pursuing relentlessly and we are just seeing obstacles put in their way uh it's like a really cool smart way to make a character in a horror movie yeah especially because then when he dies you know and then it flips the narrative of who we are following Mm -hmm. again and now it's like the film crew and we're seeing them the documentary crew like fall into this thing too where they're like oh was it actually real because Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why they think that he hired them the actors in the original footage, the footage A, is because mm-hmm. they mention in one of the tapes that they had uh, hired an actor to play one of the people in their documentary that they, like, won an right. award for. And so them mentioning it makes the film crew think, oh, what, did Gavin construct all of this? And then, like, mm-hmm. 
the Morse code in the video and like uh, the video itself when you first see Peeping Tom show up. And when everybody sees it, they're like, oh, cool special effect. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, I didn't do it. It's real. And they're like, mm, okay, buddy, whatever you say. <laughs> well, and even Gavin at, you know, film crew B is unclear as to whether film crew A faked it. Yeah, like, like he is positing that. There's really a lot of layers. I, I I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, the idea of kayfabe, the pro wrestling mm. idea that like you protect what's real. Like if you are feuding with a wrestler, you can't drive to the next town with them because it'll break kayfabe. The fans will yeah. see you are actually friends in real life. And this movie does a pretty good job of crafting kayfabe for Gavin for a film crew C and for us like the idea that you would open your movie by saying like hey or I'm sorry you would close your movie by saying like call the police if you know anything about these characters is not a thing Gone with the Wind does yeah (laughs) because because it doesn't have a kayfabe concern it doesn't need you to believe that its characters are real this movie does and it adds this extra little level (laughs) of tension yeah especially because then when you see the film crew see being consumed by thinking like oh this is real and we have to do it especially (laughs) because they like literally saw gavin die for this so it's Uh like cemented it even more that it's real but then you see this cyclical nature of like the film crew see director of the documentary he becomes the new gavin he's the one who's now trying to convince his crew because people on his crew were like this is kind of fucked up and also maybe we Mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing this but then he's like no it's real we have to do it like we gotta now like that we got the story what choice do we have we gotta follow it it does feel very virus like like this strong pursuit went from film crew a to b to c theoretically to d if i wanted to make i should make a movie about I should make a documentary about Butterfly Kisses, Roxy. There you go. Yeah, that's that's the only logical next step. Mikey and Roxy, I regret to inform you that you are doing a podcast about Butterfly Kisses right now, meaning you have already added a new layer of meta to the storytelling. Also, can I tell you, I did research what the current world record is for not blinking. Oh, did you? It's like an hour and a half. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay, I thought, because in the movie they say, like, you couldn't do it for more than half an hour like you would be permanently injured from it yeah they're cowards one hour I guess so. oh well one hour and 5.61 seconds but okay it is it is possible but that's one hour so <laughs> oh two hours and 11 minutes what one of Real the human Yve- eye? one of the yilvis brothers who sang the what does the fox say held his eyes open for two hours and 11 minutes of all people to do that okay are they allowed to like put eye drops in they just don't blink no, they just don't blink. What? Yeah. Here, I've got the I got the video for you. His eyes have got to be crusty and shriveled and destroyed <laughs> by that point. Yeah, he does see through raisins. Wait, what? Hang on. What His eyes it? become raisins. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's what it is. I thought that's what you said. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a full-on hour and 12 or 14 minutes and we're watching him not blink well then it's too bad that the uh people in this movie did not have the what does the fox say brother to come and (laughs) stare down at uh (laughs) our our spooky peeping tom fellow all that is to say when i make my documentary i'm gonna do it with my eyes because you're right the ilchester tunnel is a real place and i can do it because i'm a champion (laughs) Oh, so another added layer to this, actually, is that the director of the film... Okay, so the actual director of the entire film is Mm. the actor who is playing the director of the documentary in Team C, which is very funny. It adds another layer to it. And he actually put The Legend of Peeping Tom and the tunnel on the internet to try and Mm. generate buzz for it and kind of cement it as, like, being a real-world urban legend. To the Mm -hmm. point... That it actually ended up getting written about in, like, a local book and published <laughs> as a real urban legend. So mm. it's, like, even more, like, kind of fourth wall breaky, crazy yeah. stuff happening here. And I will say, Roxy, the uh, the huge advantage I had watching this movie was watching it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Because it has that thing where if you pause it, the actors' names pop up. Oh. Like, who are in that scene. So when Eduardo Sanchez, like, you could I've never seen that man before. I knew his name. Yeah, I hadn't but seen like, this movie either. Once he pops up and you pause it, it's just like, 
Eduardo Sanchez, and he's the character he's playing is himself. Like, so it, it like, it's this extra level of like, fuck, I guess this is real. <laughs> I guess this is not an actor, which again, it is, but it also isn't like it's, he's just playing himself and he's just doing something kind of weird and specific. It's very cool. It's a cool movie. Yeah. So we've been talking about this a lot already, but what would you say is the big idea of this movie for you, Mikey? What does Butterfly Kisses at its very core seem to be saying? I to me, it's it's a lot of, like, struggling to have your art taken seriously. Th- this mm. idea that, like, our character, uh, Gavin, from Crew B, is putting himself on the line to make a piece of art. And there's just this desperation yeah. to be seen, to be somebody who makes his thing. And, and honestly, like, I always think you can kind of tell, like, what is the true real world fear if it, as it is embodied by the monster. Mm-hmm. And even Peeping Tom wants to be seen. Like, that's what artists yeah. want. We want to be seen. We want to have our opinions out there in the world. And what he's fighting against, what Gavin is fighting against and ultimately loses, is this idea that, like, sometimes it's not right to be seen. <laughs> this monster that is pushing you forward against your your better judgment, rather, or your wife's better judgment in Gavin's case. He wants so badly to be seen, and he therefore falls to a monster that similarly wants to be seen. He falls to his worst impulses. And, like, there's a metaphorical death when he loses his wife and family well before he has his literal death. And that's what's scary about becoming all-consumed by your art. Yeah, especially because it is, like, the lure of a dream unfulfilled. That's kind of how I saw it as. Because he is putting everything on the line for this. And if he was, like, by himself, sure. But he doesn't seem to care how it affects his family. His wife, she's in a bad place where she's handling all the finances, trying to make things work. She's literally trying to balance the family books when they come home. And he's like, hey, that's my laptop. Why are you using my laptop? Mm -hmm. And then eventually she finds out that, like, not only has he drained their savings, because he kind of said that to the film crew. You hear that. Not only Mm -hmm. that, he went into his son's trust fund and took the money that his wife's parents, the kid's grandparents, Mm -hmm. put aside for him for, like, college or whatever, his future. And, like, that that is the big decider. And then, like, you see him having a conversation with his kid. His kid doesn't even want to, like, sit by him, doesn't even want to talk to him. And, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much the kid really understands what the situation that's going on here, but there's, like, this animosity just showing that his entire life has fallen apart. To be clear, the kid knows that the dad stole his trust fund. I guess so. Maybe he does. And the kid was like, I was going to use that for drugs. He's going to use it for Legos, Mikey. He's going to buy some Legos. I wanted to do drugs. I wanted to go to a club in New York (laughs) when I'm 18. (laughs) Now he never will. But yeah, just like, so not only destroying yourself, but the people around you. And then, yeah, seeing the consequences of that that ultimately consumes and kills you in this case. Mm Which is the true horror of what can happen if you pursue your dream at the expense of everything else in your Mm -hmm. life. Because I think life is about balance. I'd like to think that if you just keep persistently doing nothing but this thing, it will work out. But the thing is, you can get such tunnel vision like this that then, yeah, like your art will suffer for it ultimately, Mm -hmm. too. You gotta live if you're gonna make art. Because if you want yourself to be seen, you gotta have something to show. Exactly. That's another Bob Carlyle song. Oh, is it? If you want to be seen, you can have something to show. If you want to be seen, you got to have something to show. Mikey, you just tell me these facts and I believe you every time. <laughs> it's the second yeah. time it's fallen for that. I love lying. <laughs> you say it with so, com- so much confidence. I know. Question for you? Yes, question. What do you got? I, I got a question. All right. Gavin York went to some great lengths to understand the story of Peeping Todd. Are there any subjects, you know, mysteries, cryptids, urban legends that you would go as far as Gavin, famously from Film Crew B, went to to understand? Man, okay, so I struggled with choosing this because... it's all of them for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many interesting things out there, and it's kind of like, for instance, cryptids I find really fascinating. I don't really think they're particularly real, but what if there was? What if, <laughs> like, there was actual proof of Mothman being an alien or an extra dimensional creature and not just some like high kids who thought a owl was a monster that was flying mm-hmm. after their car. 
or like what about the the kennedy assassination or something to like would there mm. be a way to actually legitimately find out what happened mm-hmm. but putting my entire life on the line it's hard to say if i care about any of those one things enough to put my life on the line for it but uh mm. i mean we did an entire episode about mothman i'd say if there was more proof about like mothman being real i'd i'd follow that rabbit hole and meet mothman himself you love mothman he he's very cool <laughs> He just wants to <laughs> save people from disasters, theoretically. <laughs> what about you, Mikey? What what would you do? For me, it's the uh, the D.B. Cooper mystery. Uh, Ooh, it was that's a good in, one. You know, like the late fifties, a man just got on a plane and told the stewardess he had a bomb and said that they needed to deliver twenty thousand dollars to him in the air. I believe. Yeah, <laughs> and then yep. he was going to parachute out. And like two parachutes, right? He like yeah, requested yes. more than one. Yep. And he parachuted away and just nobody ever heard of him again. And I was just like so fascinated by it. It's just such a weird little story. What happened to this guy? There were a lot of rumors before the end of the show Mad Men that it was going to reveal that Don Draper would Mm. go and become D.B. Cooper, which is funny. Amazing. I always had this little fantasy. Uh, Roxy, in football, they have this thing called the All-22 camera. Where What is that? You watch, um, there's 22 players on the field and you watch, you know, when you watch a football game on TV, there's like a sideline camera and there's kind of like a three quarters angle, but the all 22 camera is above and captures all 22. So you can literally see what every player on the field is doing. I almost wish that when you died, you could get like the all 22 camera for like the Kennedy assassination. So you could just go and see and like zoom in on particulars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, I just want to solve the mysteries. And that's kind of the catch 22 is because once you're dead and your spirit has moved to an ephemeral plane, you don't care about earthly conspiracies like Mm D.B. Cooper anymore. But I like to think I still would. And I would take the time to figure out exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, I think also the appeal of the idea of time travel, too, is to go back and, like, actually mm. see what happened. And what what's so fascinating about that to be, like, not only could you see it, but maybe you could interact with it. Um, what did a dinosaur look like? Yeah, I want to actually know because, you know, human skeletons don't have any – you wouldn't be able to know that humans had ears or noses. So imagine mm. if, like, we're gone and there's different civilization afterwards. It's like, oh, they look like this. And, like, we just don't have <laughs> ears or noses or hair, you know, like on the top it's just of our head. just bipedal dinosaurs. Yeah, basically. Just shrink-wrapped, just shrink-wrapped skeletons, <laughs> basically. Oh, I think they're, like, cenobites. Oh, terrifying. Ooh, sexy. So, Mikey, uh, we talked a lot about how – possibly real this movie is in a way (laughs) um so how likely do you think this movie is to happen on a scale of one to nine because number 10 does not exist in the scary basement i'm only allowed to mention it in this context and nowhere else in this context yep roxy i gave this a four for likely to happen and i'll tell you what broke it for me okay realism wise interesting the number of documentarians there are too many documentarians because nobody gives a shit this much. <laughs> like, you know how hard it is to make a documentary? It takes a long time. You got to do a ton a of interviews. But it's a real creature, Mikey. But real three, creature. Three people? No. Uh, if one person was making a documentary about a documentary, I would get it. But a documentary about a documentary about a documentary? Nuh-uh. Nope. Crazy. <laughs> what about you? What number? This is then itself a documentary. It, the whole thing's one big. It's a it's a Russian doll. There you go. Yeah. Documentaries. Roxy, what score would you give this movie for realityness? My score for realityness is a eight out of nine. Actually, I give it oh, a wow. double score because people risking it all on their dream or like they're a shot at fame, and then it not going as planned, and they lose everything. Mm. Sadly, mm. happens quite frequently. Also, becoming yeah. so obsessed with a thing and having that drag you under and ruin your entire life. Right. That's what I uh, have done with Resident Evil Two. Would you say it ruined your life, though? I'd say it inspires your life (laughs) so far, but uh, it hasn't killed you yet. (laughs) I'm pretty unhappy. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) So, yes, I uh, I, I know. I think everybody, not everybody, but many people have, you know, tried to shoot their shot and it has not worked out, sadly. Not everybody is the movie protagonist they want to be where they accomplish mm. their dreams and set out to do everything they plan to do. So I, it is a very sad 8 out of 9 for me. Yeah. Grim. 
so, Mikey, last week we had a bet, mm-hmm. which was how many total kisses, butterfly or otherwise, are in this movie. Uh, Mikey, you I said, said three. Mikey said three. I said six. The answer of how many we see on screen is zero. <laughs> zero. Zero. Get, I guess we get we get half a butterfly kiss at the end because we know that like our eyelidless friend Sophia is at least getting butterfly kissed by Peeping Tom. Yes, yeah. So like but we, we don't we know him, that's the so context. Like... Yes, but we don't actually see it. So yeah. Which also, real quick, this is my one opportunity to bring this up too. Okay. At the very beginning of this movie, she's like, "You, if you blink." He'll he'll leave you alone, but so you can't blink. And I wrote at the very top of my notes, Roxy, what about people without eyelids? And that ended up being the solution to the whole movie. Okay. On Sophia's part. Yeah. What if you just Pretty close cool. your eyelids forever also, though? Just like glue your eyelids shut. Oh, yeah. You could do that. Yeah. So then you're technically not blinking. Or does that count uh-huh. as like hold, like pressing down the button on like a controller where it's just going to keep pressing it a million times? Or does oh, it count as sure, one sure. button press? That's the yeah, question. It's constant. Well, then Peeping Tom is free to roam around you. <laughs> while I your guess eyes so. are closed. You can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Actually, would so like maybe even if it did draw him to you, but he couldn't kill you until you open your eyes again and then see him. Huh. So maybe it's still s- similar. Similar game mechanics for this creature. <laughs> well, Roxy, I I am going to take this bet point. Uh, All right. I said three. You said six. The answer was zero. So the lower score gets it. That means our total bet score as it stands is Roxy with 29. Oh Mikey my God. with 23. Ty with okay. two. Something will happen at 30. Something. Lightning strike. Okay, Roxy, it's time to once again open the interview tomb and see who the scary basement has decided we're going to interview tonight. All right, let's see who it is. Oh, it's uh, an old man in a cowboy hat. Hi, um, do you have anything to do with the movie Butterfly Kisses? No, ma'am, but I do have something to do with the song Butterfly Kisses. I wrote it. Name's Bob Carlisle. It's a pleasure. Bob, let me ask you, does it maybe stick in your craw a little bit that your sweet little song about raising your little girl is almost tainted by association with this grisly horror movie? Well, I was frustrated at first, but when I sat down to watch the movie, I ended up feeling grateful. Huh, grateful? Why's that? Why, the movie introduced me to the legend of Peepin' Tom. Now, Peepin' Tom, he's in my life, and I'll never... Go without butterfly kisses again. Wait, Peeping Tom is in your life. Right after I watched butterfly kisses, I marched my butt down to the railroad tracks and stared into that tunnel for one hour. You didn't blink for an hour. How? I just didn't. Okay, but uh, it just seems like you sought out Peeping Tom while everyone else tried to avoid him, you know, because they wanted to stay alive? If you had a daughter, you'd get it. You see, daughters grow up. They get married. They have kids of their own. They get mad at you for talking so much about how you wrote the song Butterfly Kisses, even during your grandson's christening. But worst of all is, daughters stop giving you butterfly kisses after bedtime prayer. But Peepin' Tom, he loves butterfly kisses. Cannot get enough of them. He and I are rubbing eyelids every night, I tell you what. And then, it's time for bedtime prayer. But Peepin' Tom kills people. Like, he should have killed you. Well, I don't think anyone Peepin' Tom killed ever followed up on their butterfly kisses by putting little white flowers all up in his hair. Know what I'm saying? So all the cute little things you used to do to make your daughter feel loved, you still do them. Except now it's with the mythological, creepy, killing spirit, Peeping Tom. Oh, you got that right. And it's simply beautiful. Every night before bed, Peepin' Tom screams and screams. But when I translate them screams to Morse code, I find that he's saying, I love you, Daddy. Then, it's butterfly kissing time. <laughs> yeah! Is this relationship tenable, do you think? Oh, no. I assume that at some point, Peepin' Tom, too, will have to spread his wings and fly. No, like, I don't think you understand what Mikey's saying. He's gonna kill you. But when that day comes, I'll be proud to walk Peepin' Tom down the aisle. Maybe, just maybe, Peepin' Tom will one day have a little girl his own. 
And I will talk about how I wrote the song Butterfly Kisses at her christening. Aww. Wait, wait, he's definitely gonna kill you. Close the tomb, Roxy. Okay, well, uh, Bob Carlyle sure was a guy. Um, but here's Demonbot <laughs> to come give us the next movie. What's up, what's up, Demonbot? What do you got for us? Mikey and Roxy, for next week you must watch the 1981 classic Evil Dead. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I shall claim your bodies as my own. Okay, Roxy, so we got Evil Dead on the docket next. Ooh, okay, Evil Dead. This is a huge landmark movie. I'm excited for this one. One of my all-time favorites. All right, Mikey, so how about we make a bet for Evil Dead? That sounds great. Uh, let's go. Uh, in Evil Dead, a lot of characters turn into deadites, the, like, demonic zombie-type fellas. Uh, how many characters do we think are going to turn into deadites in the first Evil Dead? Um, I'm gonna say five. Five? I'll say four. I truly don't remember. I haven't seen this movie in many, many years. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it then. Beth's locked in. All right. Beth's locked in. All right, Mikey. So we've been talking about a lot of existential, are you ever going to accomplish what you want to, scary things. <laughs> Very scary. With this movie. Maybe the scariest thing of all, truly. But how about we talk about something that's making us happy this week? So, Mikey, what what is making you happy this week? I found a new favorite restaurant. Roxy, it's called oh. Johnny pastrami that's a great name unclear if it's a chain sell. or not you get well you know what it is right off the bat right yep. you can pitch somebody should we go to johnny pastrami and they're either feeling pastrami or they're not and they can say no um i got what's called the johnny fries okay and how are those different it, than normal fries french fries cheese drizzle hunks of pastrami on the fries roxy what Ooh. could be better what could be better? I'm salivating just thinking about it. You can hear it in my mouth. <laughs> I think after this record, you got to go get some of those fries. I might do it. What's do making it. you happy? Uh, what's making me happy this week is a YouTuber named Nick DeRamio. He uh, does a lot Nick of- Nick DeRamio? He has a lot of very fun movie reviews covering like influencer drama, things like that. He will find a lot of really weird, obscure movies that are so bizarre that I've never even heard of. And uh, the way he comments on them and rips them apart at times is very <laughs> funny and engaging. And I, I highly recommend his stuff, especially if you like, he, he reviews a couple of horror movies, quite a few of them, mm. along with other things too. So if you like our content, I'm sure you will jive with his content too. But yeah, he's on YouTube at uh, Nick DeRamio TV. Highly recommend yeah. it. Let's we'll, watch have him it, we'll have his link in together. the show notes. All right. So it is time for Haunted Plugs, Mikey. So where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at Mikey McCaller and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Mikey McCaller. Perfect. And I am on Twitter as at Roxy Polk and on Twitch as Roxy Polk. Also, make sure to give us five stars on your podcast venue of choice. But make sure they're five scary stars. And maybe leave a review and share. Or scare. The podcast with your friends. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. Chilling.